Now, I know we've been camped in Hebrews 4 for just a little bit, but it's because of the transition the writer's making. Uh, how, let's rehearse some things. God always tells us to remember. Let's, let's rehearse some things. We know that Jesus is better, don't we? And we know that uh, God at sundry times and in diverse manners spoken time past unto our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by whom? The Son, Jesus. So Jesus is greater than the prophets, isn't he? Jesus is greater. Next point that the writer makes, Jesus is greater than what? The angels, the messengers of the Lord. He's a greater message than the messengers of the Lord. And uh, after we saw that, we saw that Jesus is, in fact, uh, greater than Moses, which is amazing. Jesus is a, has a better covenant and, and a greater bearer of the holiness of God than Moses was. Now, Jesus is also, as we began to see, greater and better than the Sabbath. We saw that, didn't we? In Hebrews 4, he's greater than the Sabbath rest. He is the Sabbath rest of God. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And last week we saw that Jesus' word can penetrate and he began to introduce us to Jesus as the high priest who can cut the sacrifice and separate that which is unclean with that which is clean. And that's what the word of the Lord does. It's sharper than a two-edged sword and it can cut asunder and cut into our lives. And so we're going to see now that the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us that Jesus is better than any high priest better than the high priest who mediates between God and men. But there is a mediator that's even greater than Aaron and Levi and their sons. And so let's go to Hebrews 4.14 and we pick up there. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so he introduces us now to Jesus being better than the high priest. And he gives us three points that should give us a greater confidence in Christ than in any priest, pastor, any mediator on earth. First of all, the position that Christ attends to. You see, his position is greater than any human high priest. Although Jesus is human, he's fully divine. And it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest. That word in the uh, language of the Greek means superior We've got a better high priest, a superior high priest. He's great. He's great. His position, high priest. But listen to this. Who has gone through the heavens. His position isn't to mediate in an earthly tabernacle, and we'll be getting into this later in Hebrews, a, a tabernacle. How many of you remember what the tabernacle was fashioned after? It was actually to be a model of heaven. How many of you were ever into models, model kits, doing model cars, model things? Yeah? All right. They were scaled models, scaled versions of the real thing. That's what a model is. And that's what God told Moses to make. Make a model of heaven out of wood. Put gold on it. Make it pretty. Right? 
weave some pretty colors of purple, make pomegranates, all of it imitation, imitation, imitation. How many of you want the real thing? Our high priest is superior, he's better, he's greater, because he doesn't minister in an imitation of heaven. He is in heaven ministering on our behalf. That's better. How many of you know that's better? Amen. Right now, Jesus, in flesh and bone, is standing at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, declaring, thus saith the Lord, and issuing forth, his commands into this world and into this realm on your behalf. He's sending ministering spirits and angels, commissioning them to move and to go. He's calling nature to move and to be moved on your behalf. Now that's better than some guy in a costume. And when the real one appeared, that's what all of this became. I'm not trying to denigrate the design God put into it, but once the reality's here, that's just a costume because it no longer is valid. It is, as the writer of Hebrews says, obsolete. Now let's go on. So his position is that of high priest, but his title, yes, is high priest, but what does he remind us once again is his title. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Right? To which of the angels has he given the name Son? Moses was a great caretaker of the house of God, but Jesus is the Son, the builder. Are you getting a message here that's running through this whole thing? The Son of God means he is the nature of God. He is God. That is his title, the Son of God. Therefore, he can understand because God put on flesh. It says in verse 15, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. He knows human frailty. He knows human pain. He knows human suffering. How could he be a high priest if he had not known such things? How could he mediate on our behalf if he couldn't represent what we feel? He is the perfect mediator of God, the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is all that the Father is. Therefore, he can mediate God to us. But who is going to mediate us to God? Jesus. And he's the perfect mediator. He knows exactly what we feel. So with his position in the heavenlies as the high priest, his title is God the Son. He has sympathy and an understanding of who we are. Therefore, have confidence in him. Later on, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, cast not away your confidence. Have confidence. Hebrews, don't leave this for this. Don't leave the reality of Christ in the heavenlies mediating on your behalf for a man and a temple and furniture. Cast not your confidence away. Have confidence. And you can have confidence because of what he's done. He's superior. A superior high priest. Now, we go on. 
And it says now in Hebrews chapter 5, what he's going to do is reiterate. Typically, as, as a Hebrew, he's going to make his points. He's got the position. He's got the title. He understands and sympathizes, therefore have confidence. He's going to repeat that again now in Hebrews 5. And he says, Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. That's the high priest of man. This is why he has to offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for the sins of people. No one takes his honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I've become your father. And in another place he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we go back to the thing that he makes the point. His position. He is a high priest. Christ was called to be a high priest, just as Aaron was called to be a high priest. Do you remember that? The calling of Aaron. Remember, Moses was called of God to be the deliverer, to save, deliver his people out of the bondage of Egypt. And when God told him to be the deliverer and go to his people, he said, I can't do it. I have stammering lips. I'm not eloquent enough. I can't speak. This guy was trained in Pharaoh's house. He was trained and studied and tutored to be a Pharaoh and a king. What do you mean he stutters? And many people try to figure out why that was. Well, God said, I will send Aaron for you. Now, many of us think that Aaron was supposed to be the mouthpiece for Moses to the Egyptians. It makes no sense at all. Read through the story, and every time Moses goes before Pharaoh, who speaks? Moses. Aaron's silent. So what good is he? I mean, if, if, if Aaron was assigned to Moses so that he would be his speaker, his spokesman, it wasn't for the Egyptians. Moses could speak Egyptian. His stammering and his inability was to speak Hebrew. He needed someone because he stammered at speaking Hebrew. Remember, he grew up as an Egyptian. He needed an interpreter and someone who was eloquent to speak Hebrew to the people. And that's the role of the mediator of Aaron. That's when you see him stand in his place before the people so he could speak to them for Moses. And that's why he's the high priest, because he could speak their language Jesus is the mouthpiece or the word for God. And he speaks our language to us. Whatever dialect it is, he can sympathize. He can speak to you. He can speak in any vernacular, any slang, any age, and in any time period. He speaks to every human heart because he knows what it is to have a human heart. He speaks your language. That's Jesus. Now, he was called to be a high priest. I love what Peter says. Peter puts it beautifully. He says that we were redeemed not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He was a lamb without blemish 
or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. I'll say it again. He was chosen. He was called to be the high priest, the mediator. Aaron was an imitation of Jesus. All his children and Levites were imitations of Jesus. It's not the other way around. Jesus didn't become a high priest because that's the way it was supposed to be. No, 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 no. He just showed up as what he always was. They were the imitators. And that's what he's saying. He was chosen before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last times and days for us. You see, he was chosen just as the high priest was chosen. And in in 5 it says this, that the position of a high priest is selected from among the men and is appointed to represent them in matters to God, in gifts and sacrifices for sin. And that's what Christ did. But his sacrifice and his offering to God was perfect, without spot, without blemish, without sin. We'll get into that greater as the writer goes on in other chapters. But his sacrifice was pure. He was born of a virgin. Therefore, he had a seed from God, though he was fully human, fully man. And because he was born of a virgin, the blood of Adam did not taint him. Therefore, he was sinless, perfect, not under the curse of Adam. And he lived a perfect and sinless life, fulfilling the law perfectly. So when he offered his sacrifice, it was perfect. And he was called just as the high priest is called. And look at what he says about the high priest. The high priest is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. That's why he offers sacrifice for his own sins. And that's what the high priest needed to do. Offer sacrifice for his own sins. But there is a title for Jesus that is greater than just high priest. Do you remember it? He says here, but God said to him, no one takes this honor on himself. He must be called of God just as Aaron was. So Christ did not take upon himself the glory, but became a high priest. And God said to him, you're my son. And there's the title. Today I am your father. How many of you remember the baptism of Jesus Christ? Do you remember what was said there? (laughs) Again, do you see the importance of that title? When Jesus is called into his priesthood, when he's called out, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Christ is the son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. At his baptism, at the cleansing, at the washing, the high priest is supposed to be washed. Leviticus 8 and Exodus 29 tells us that the high priest must stand before the tabernacle and be washed. That's why Jesus said, this must be done to John the Baptist. He said, man, you should be baptizing me. He said, no, we must do this to fulfill all things because the priestly duty of Christ at this age 30, he was standing before all people to be washed as the high priest. Now watch this. This is out of sight. What tribe was John the Baptist from? Levi. Remember his daddy? Zechariah? Right? And, and, and he couldn't talk. It was his turn to serve in the temple. He was a Levite. 
And what happens as Jesus is going to be washed as the high priest when he begins his ministry, he goes into the baptism waters and the tribe of Levi is now going to transfer the authority of the priesthood from Levi to the son of God, Melchizedek. The transfer of the priesthood is now exchanged at that point and God says you're my son and as the writer of Hebrew says and you shall be a priest after Melchizedek now we're gonna get into Melchizedek a little later and of course in verse 11 the writer says we have much to say about this Melchizedek but it's hard to explain because you're too slow to learn now I didn't say that to you I'm reading the text. He's saying that to, to those who he's writing to. He says, I've got so much revelation. <laughs> and, and he does eventually get to it. I'm sure there's even more, and I wish we had more. <laughs> but there's plenty of us, plenty there for us to glean. But what he says is, I've got so much to tell you, but not right now. Let me deal with you first. But he says, at this time, Christ becomes the priest of God, and it is the beginning of his ministry that he uh, starts in the waters of baptism. Now he again reiterates, because he's our high priest and he has this title, he says in verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he had suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There it is again. We see the office that he takes as he enters in the baptismal waters, transferring from what was an image of the high priesthood into the reality of Melchizedek, an eternal figure, Christ the Son. He has the title Son of God. Now, let me just stay right there for a minute. Do you understand that if our high priest is the Son of God, and Jesus is God in the very nature, then God is our high priest. So, brothers and sisters, you've got God attending to your needs. Why on earth would you substitute your high priest Jesus for any other figure in the Bible? Risking offending some, I hope not only to offend you, but to absolutely crush bad theology. Mary cannot intercede on your behalf. She cannot. She will not. Why would I say a prayer to a relative, to a dead saint who is now living in the presence of God? I understand that. I understand the communion of the saints and appreciate that. But someone's got to set it straight this morning, brothers and sisters. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. God is assigned to mediate unto me. Why? Why? When he invites me to speak to him, when he really begs us to speak and not lose confidence in him, why? Why? 
would I pray to anything and anyone else. I have a living relationship with the Word of God. Don't cast off your confidence in Jesus. When you begin to pray to someone or something else, you have lost confidence in Him. Look at, I'm going to bring it even home further. When we go first to the doctor, first to anyone else, first to somebody before we go to our high priest, we've lost confidence in Him. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm saying bring Jesus with you. Start there. Anything we do before Christ would tell us we've got more confidence in that than Him. And it's got to challenge all of us, brothers and sisters, because this morning we've lost confidence in Him. And I'll be the first to admit it. Sometimes I lose confidence because I think it's my prayers. I think I don't pray good enough. I don't think I pray long enough. What does that say about my shepherd, my God, my high priest? Despite my flawed prayer life, and no matter how good I get at it, my God is greater. My shepherd attends to my needs. Don't lose confidence in him. Pray any kind of prayer the best you can. Pray as much, pray as little, but don't lose confidence in my God. And you know what? When you begin to have confidence in him, then my prayer, your prayer life begins to be uh, continuous all day long. My dialogue is with him first. When I'm talking to other people, I need to talk to him first. I love what they said about Nehemiah when he heard the news about Jerusalem and he had to pray, speak to the king. He had a look on his face and the king said, what's wrong? And the next verse says, and Nehemiah prayed and said. That quick was the instant of prayer. Nehemiah said, oh God, give me favor. Listen, king, this is the problem. You see what I'm saying? His confidence was there first. Before you talk on the phone to someone, why don't you talk to Jesus first? Before you have to deal with someone in church and walk up to them, why don't you talk to Jesus first? When you meet a stranger, say, Jesus, speak revelation to me. Talk to Jesus. We're losing confidence in Christ. The church has lost confidence in Christ. We've got more confidence in our programs and in our, in our published materials and, and all the works. We've lost confidence in the power of God. He can sympathize. He can hold what's broken and bring it together. He's our all in all, everything we need. Now, his experience of extreme obedience was even unto death. This is a mystery, brothers and sisters, when we begin to look at this text. When it says this about Jesus, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. I want you to ask yourself, have you ever considered or imagined Jesus weeping and wailing? Crying in such a manner, so distraught that he began to bleed out of the pores of his face. Do you understand the place of intercession he was at? In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he is praying, knowing that his obedience, as the writer of Philippians says, must be unto death. Now, being fully human, there is within every human being the fight to live. Being the life 
of God, you can imagine the distress he's under. And you can imagine that he must obey. I can't imagine what the angels were thinking as they were watching this scene. As they had ministered to him on different occasions, after the 40-day fast, the angels came, served, ministered, restored, and helped him. It says, after in Gethsemane this scene, the the angels came to minister, but that would be the last time they could ever help. Because he was going someplace no angel could ever go. An angel could not give his life. He was going to a place no human could ever go because there's no man clean before God that could die for all of us. He was going where no one had ever gone. In fact, God in the flesh was going to let the flesh die. Wow. That's the passion of the intercession for us. He'll go on later and say, what high priest ever did that for you? Now he goes on and he says this. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. A son who learned obedience from what he had suffered. He became obedient unto death. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. His obedience unto death was not for his sin, but for ours. Willing to die for you and I, struggling with all he had to be obedient. There was a major shift in his obedience in the garden at that point. In his ministry, he was obedient to do as he saw the Father. He would act. It was a willful act of obedience. The Father would do something, he would do it. He would see the Father heal, he would heal. And he would hear the Father say, and he would speak. He was perfectly obedient to all that the Father said and did while he was on the earth. At this point, there is a major shift in his obedience in the garden. Now, it is no longer a willful act of obedience. It is now a willful act of submission. He will not act any longer, but allow man to act upon him. And he will not resist. His obedience now was not to do, but to be, even unto death. There are times, brothers and sisters, that we keep trying to do, trying to do, trying to fix, trying to perform, trying to do. And sometimes there's a time where God says, be still. Stand in obedience. And let what's coming to you come. That's the harder obedience, wouldn't you say? And So he was obedient as a high priest. Now consider that the high priest, according to Leviticus 8, Exodus 29, was washed. You see, it's amazing when you consider that when Aaron was presented as the high priest, he had to go to the door of the tabernacle. He was outside of the gate. Does that sound familiar to you? He was outside of the camp of meeting and had to go to the front of the gate. And when he stood there, one of the first things what was to take place is he was to be washed. He did not wash himself. And why? Because what he was doing, standing in front of the congregation, was saying, I am a sinner. 
And the only way that I would be fit to be your high priest is, number one, I was called of God. And number two, I'm being cleansed by God. But Jesus, and that's what the writer's trying to point out, did not need to be cleansed of God. But the high priest stood there before all. What did Jesus do? He was at the door of heaven on Calvary before the curtain of the great tabernacle in heaven. And he stood there for us so that we would put all our sin on him. Where in the high priest of Aaron and the Levites, they would wash to remove his sin. Jesus, in reverse, was perfect and came so that we would put our sin on him. That's a high priest, brothers and sisters. That is absolutely amazing. And he learned his obedience through what he suffered. So that, listen to this now, so that once being made perfect, that word isn't that Jesus was imperfect and he had to become perfect because he had to suffer. What it means is complete. Now that this was complete. Now that Christ was put on the cross and even unto dying for us, the law is fulfilled or made complete or perfected. Christ perfected the law by becoming a curse for us, dying on the tree. Our sin put upon him at the door of the tabernacle. For the Lord put a new door and hung a new curtain before the Holy of Holies. It's the flesh of Jesus Christ. It is awesome and wondrous to know that he perfected and became the source of eternal salvation. Why does the writer emphasize eternal salvation? What would that matter to the Hebrews when you're talking about a high priest? Because what does a high priest have to do day after day after day, year after year? Provide a sacrifice for atonement. Sacrifice for atonement because it's never perfect. It's never enough. But Christ, by his one sacrifice for all time, became the eternal, the e- say it with me, the eternal <laughs> salvation for all who, what? I'm sorry, we must have gotten that wrong. Let me read it again. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who o- obey him. Oh, I thought it was believe in him. Oh, I'm... Because what we try to do is we just try to get everybody to believe in him. See, we, 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 we do a disservice many times. Now, you're going to get mad at me, but we do a disservice so many times in evangelism when we get people to repeat a prayer and say, believe in Jesus, and then they say, okay, I believe, and now you're saved. Now, we know Scripture says to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth. Well, that second part, confessing with your mouth, isn't just a one-time confession. It is to those who obey him. And that's what his whole message to the Hebrew community is. Y'all say you believe him, but you're ready to walk away. How many Christians in the church say they believe him, but are so willing to walk away? And there is coming a time in the church when there will be a great falling away. And I'll tell you why. Because so many believe in Jesus But so many do not obey Jesus. And the true believers, 
The true followers of Christ are those who obey Jesus Christ. Now we're back into that Hebrew mindset where Paul, where James says, you show me your faith by what you say. Uh-uh. I'll show you my faith by what I do. And so he brought us eternal salvation. That eternal salvation is evident to those who walk in the manner of Jesus Christ. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which is too much for you to handle right now, so we'll stop there. But let me make my last point. Therefore, we must have confidence in this priest. What will you put your confidence in? Please do not put your confidence in me. If you've been here longer than three weeks, you know I will fail you. I make sure that you're well aware of that, and I dash all concepts. <laughs> Where is your confidence? How many of you have been hurt by churches? How many of you have been hurt by pastors? How many of you have been hurt by Christian leaders? How many of you have been hurt by simply other Christians? Our confidence isn't in each other. Our faith isn't even in each other. It's in Him. It's in Him. He alone is our confidence. He alone is our strength. And I can't get past this. I don't want to leave Him. You see, you need to have a baptism of confidence. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And all I can think of is holding firmly onto Him. I'm going to hold on to Jesus, even unto whatever death may come my way. I will hold on to Jesus. You see, many of us say and profess a faith that we'll hold on to Jesus as long as it seems to be going well. We have an expectation that because I believe in Jesus, life's good. Well, life is good. But I know it's pretty bad, too. But He is greater than life and death. I will hold on to Him in life and passing through death. Don't lose confidence. That's the whole message this morning. You have a high priest who is in the heavenlies that's better than any priest, pastor, teacher, leader you could ever have. He is in the heavenlies representing you. His title is God the Son. He has all power in heaven and earth and below the earth. And He is sympathetic to all of our needs. Everything you have a desire and need and want and desire for God to do, He is a to you. He cares for you. He sympathizes with you. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows what it's like to be on a deathbed. He knows what it's like to be suffering so intensely from pain. He knows this. He knows what it's like to be rejected by those whom you love. He knows what it's like to be spurned by others, to be spat upon, to be hated and for prejudice. He knows all of this. So the writer says, please, knowing this, don't lose confidence in him. I know that there are lions in the Colosseum. 
And I know some of you are going to be locked up, like Jesus said in the book of Revelation, to that church. And he said even some of you will die. Hold fast to your faith. Hold on to Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads.